These are the target files. Discussing the novelizations and audiobooks of classic and now also new series Doctor Who stories. Looking through the eyes of adulthood at our childhood memories. After all, a great Time Lord once said, there's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish some of the time. Hello faithful listeners, Michael here, welcoming you to episode 91 of The Target Files. We have had a bit of change of direction in this show, I'm going to be taking it on with a new co-host now. If you'd like a bit of further information, it's there on our old Facebook page, Doctor Who Target Files, and I'll also post it on the new page, Doctor Who colon The Target Files. Thank you for your patience in waiting for this episode, and I hope you continue to enjoy the new show. Here it is, episode 91. Time to introduce you to our new co-host, Mr. Lee Farncombe. Hey! Hello! How are you doing, Lee? Uh, would you like to explain to listeners uh, any sort of background of being a fan of Doctor Who? Or I can. My background from liking Doctor Who started in 96 with the TV movie. And then was from meeting you when we became friends in 2003 or 2. Maybe it was... Five, like when the Eccleston series was... No, we we were friends before that. Yeah. The only reason I know we were friends before that was because I happened to mention watching Doctor Who and you went, I used to love that show. Yeah, because I'm thinking I didn't work for, I didn't work for that company till the Eccleston series had started though, so... Had you? Oh, but I'm, but I'm pro- sure like we met at some club, mutual friends in the 90s. Yeah, we did. Yeah, um, and we which, probably chatted about it then when it was off air. Yes, but yeah, it, st- <laughs> it started there... Um, even though I'm old enough to remember the classic series, as my mum told me recently, I didn't like Doctor Who because it wasn't Star Wars. Fair enough. Although, going back and watching the old episodes, because I haven't seen them all, obviously I'm never going to see some of them because they don't exist anymore, I really wish I'd watched this on, on first air, especially the Tom Baker era, because I love Tom Baker. That's why I'm very happy and a little bit sad by the story that we're about to talk about now. Yes, uh, you were, I think, four and a half when this was shown. September 79, I was two and a half. I, yes, I would have been four and a half. And what's it called, Lee? It's called City of Death by Douglas Adams. Hooray! James Goss in the novelisation. David Agnew, which was an amalgamation of Douglas Adams and Welsh script editor at the time, Graham Williams. So it's had a lot of input, but um, something that's really good, isn't it, on the TV version, certainly. When we said that we were going to do this, I hadn't actually seen, so I went out and bought the DVD, and I loved these episodes. I thought it was a fantastic story. It was Douglas Adams at his best. And then we decided on listening to the audiobook. 
And it seems about six weeks ago we decided to listen to the audiobook, and it took that long to uh, finish it. This this really was a struggle to get through. Usually with audiobooks, even if they're not audio dramatizations, you can you can go through a good few hours. With this, it was one chapter at a time. Lala, she's never been my favourite assistant, but her voice doesn't lend itself to audiobooks, especially science fiction. She's more... She'd be more suited to Dickens. However, I love the Gallifrey stories, the ones she did with Louise Jameson and John Leeson. I think those are really well done. But when she has to read the stories on her own, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, and as you said, you know, as we both said, it's such a long one, isn't it? I think there's certain elements she did quite well, like some of the characters getting the essence of, like, a Julian Glover, a Scaroth. I don't think she did the Doctor too well as Tom, but she got Duggan down quite well. He's quite one-dimensional, a bit of a thug anyway, isn't he? How did, how did you find... Well, for me personally, when it wasn't the Romana talking or the Doctor talking, all of the other characters, she did really well and it was really engaging. But when it came to the Doctor and Romana, it just went a little bit flat. I think so, yeah. I'm not sh- exactly sure why that is. You know, we can sort of speculate they were married, but um, yeah. they haven't seen each other for quite a long time. How long were they married for? Probably only about a year or two, I think. Maybe even less. There was the- a bit of an age gap, wasn't there? Tom was mid-40s, like we both are now. And, yes. Uh, oh, don't remind me. She was in her maybe early 30s then, maybe late 20s. Well, you think even if being married to someone for a year, she could have put... She's not an impressionist, so I wouldn't expect to start doing impressions of Tom Baker. Some people can do impressions of Tom Baker very, very well. Other people's not so much. But she could have put some inflection into the way that she read the story. But it was. It was just it was just very, very flat. Yeah, I think I end up comparing it to somebody else from Tom's era, Louise Jameson, and she's totally more engaging in the, the books I've listened to, you know, like horror, fang rock. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. She also, after... Elizabeth Sladen died. She did a lot of the Doctor Who at the BBC audiobooks, which were brilliant. Like I said, the Gallifrey stories I thought were really good. It's so strange having you know two different, very different assistants, having two different assistants who can engage you so so well. But as you were saying, there's a couple of Target versions of this now. There was an abridged one released last year, apparently, and I only just realised half an hour before recording this, that it had come out, and uh, I think we've both tended to end up wishing because, that was the audio yeah, version. Because um, when we originally agreed to do this, it was, it's not really a Target book. I said, well, you know, we'll start with something big for my first episode, and then it turns out it is a Target book that's a lot shorter than the audio version. Character-wise, um, how do you think Tom is sort of developed in the book? I mean, on the TV version, he's at his peak, isn't he? A lot of yeah. people have said that. In the book... No, there's 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 not a lot there. Tom is such a strong character on the on the TV screen that you want it to translate really well over over to the book, but it's just not there. I think it's very brave of anything. So is it James Goss to try and adapt Douglas Adams to novelization form? Because it's it's kind of in many ways it's like trying to adapt Shakespeare. You no matter what happens, someone's going to go. I don't like it. Yeah, I think we've seen that with a lot of the Hitchhiker's adaptations now, haven't they? the more recent ones, yeah. since Douglas has passed away, 2001. 
you've got to say there's been a dip in quality. You know, I've heard the radio versions, and it's great that you have a lot of the original cast with us, but it did tend to lose the interest by, you know, book six or whatever it is now. Or Because when City of Death came out, that would have been around about the time the first Hitchhikers... Yeah, 78 was the first radio series. This yeah. was in production in 79, this was. So it would have been a year afterwards. Yeah. So it would have been, I would say, the height of his power, but the height of his writing prowess, because he is a very unique writer. There's there's no one else like Douglas Adams. Maybe Terry Pratchett. I know they're not the same. They don't write in the same vein, but they have this very unique style, which when you read it, it's... Right, that's a Douglas Adams novel or, or a story. Yeah. That's a Terry Pratchett novel. Another Doctor Who writer, Neil Gaiman. You, when you read their stories, it's like, right, yes, I know who this is. Would you say Douglas Adams is more scientific? Neil Gaiman perhaps more fantastical? But it's like giving those elements quirkiness. Yes. Everyday foibles, like we can all recognise. Yeah, you you've said exactly what I was thinking. There is the Douglas Adams is very much more scientific, but still very quirky. Whereas Neil, Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, very fantasy driven, but also still very quirky. Yeah, and you can relate to that. So yeah, with everyday characters. Yes, and it was almost like perfect for Tom's Doctor, I suppose. Out of all of all of the Doctors, Tom for me will still be the quirkiest. He may not be my Doctor. My Doctor will always be Paul McGann, though. One hit wonder. Yeah, George Lazenby. <laughs> yes. Which I think is really unfair because I thought he would have been an excellent doctor if they continued on with it. Would have been brilliant, yeah. yeah. They carried on with Big Finish, but that's a story for another time. Character-wise, Romana. Very intelligent character, but phrases, you know, still a screamer. In the, yeah. In the, uh, in the Doctor Who meaning of the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, Romana. Outside of this book, she's never been a favourite assistant of mine. You know, after Liz Sladen, then Louise Jameson, then then it was Romana, wasn't it? She definitely was the bronze medal. So what did you think of Romana as an assistant? Not just in this story, as in general. Because I've never been that much of a fan. I've never really liked Lala Ward as Romana in the show. I've always felt, on the scale of assistant, she's quite low, like Martha. Not short, obviously. <laughs> but she's never been one that's been really popular with me. What's your thoughts on her? A lot of them are sort of overshadowed by Tom, I think. I think I, think was... I prefer the first Romana, Mary Tam, sadly no longer with us. I mean, I think Liz Sladen held her own with Tom. Louise Jameson did. I didn't know Mary Tam had died. No, it was like 2011. It wasn't long after Sarah Jane. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she didn't. She didn't die. Because did they actually change Romana from her to, to Lala Ward? Yeah, she got pregnant. I think she. Oh, fair enough. I mean, there's a lot of things on the BBC, uh, the Doctor Who at the BBC audio that I would like to see. There's a lot of interviews. Ones with Mary Tam. I think it was on Blue Peter. There's quite a few, yeah, on the DVD range. And I'm sure I've heard an, an, the one thing I'd really like to see, which I'm never going to see, I, I remember hearing a, an interview with Russell T. Davis where he said that there, even in the classic era there was a Christmas episode with William Hartnell. Yeah, Feast of Stephen. It's like episode 
six or seven of the Dalek master plan, which is pretty much missing. All oh, right. Three episodes out of twelve, so. Oh, which so they found again, but hoping so. No, oh, that would be nice. It'll it'll turn up somewhere. Hope so, mate. And um, but yeah, for me, Romana, just a little bit boring, I suppose. Yeah. Compared to the others, um, a little bit snooty with it. The whole sort of uh, educational aspect to it. Yeah. You know, I came to the classic era quite late, even though I still remember watching the Five Doctor story when it first aired. But I think that was. That was pretty much it when I was a kid. That was the only one I ever ever really saw or saw from beginning to end. That was a big TV event in our childhood, wasn't it? Yeah. I have this memory, I'm probably wrong, or maybe I'm mashing. Was it, did it play around about the time of Children in Need? Yeah, the first part was on Children in Need night on a Friday. Yes, because I, my grandmother let me watch it and I thought, oh, this was great. At the time, obviously, I didn't know that they'd replace William Hartnell because he was no longer with us. Yeah, I didn't see a Hartnell episode probably until the late 80s. You know, I always thought it was Richard Herndl who, let's be honest, as you get older, is pretty pretty poor in the role. Pretty yes. less than memorable. Um, obviously, now that they've changed Hartnell to someone else, so I think David, his name escapes me. Bradley? David Bradley, that's it, does a fantastic job. Good, good. Yeah, character-wise, um, the bad guys. Scaroth, Julian Glover, I think he's... Uh, I think this is one of his best roles, to be honest. He's done so much in, you know, Star Wars. Yeah. Indiana Jones as villains. You know, he has really thrived on science fiction or, you know, in that yeah. in that vein. As you said, the Indiana Jones, Jones films. And even in the audiobook, I think he was done very, very well. Yeah, she does get it. I think she gets his... Just his manner, spot on. Like yeah. we've criticised her inflection and stuff, but it's just his manner, you know, his superiority complex, really, isn't it? Yeah. And what did you think of him as, you know, as the race of villains? You know, how did you feel that? Well, that split in the idea of being split through time. That was a really interesting idea. It's that's not something that you see. I know in was it the final episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, the idea that the it was through different time periods yes so I always I always like that story and to see it being done much much earlier it it was fantastic it's something you don't see they usually use the same tropes in science fiction go this is the bad guy this is what he's going to do he's going to tell everyone what his plan is which gets boring but again Douglas Adams at his best and it's just survival of the fittest you know he wants his race to survive and this is why he's more or less led human history isn't he were the Jagroth used in any other Doctor Who stories in the classic era? Not that I know of. Possibly Big Finish. They usually mine all the old characters. That may something, but I don't recall it, or maybe in a novel. Because when I text you to say today, saying, have the Jagroth ever been used? I'm sure I've heard them somewhere else being used. It's very... Seems like one of those names, doesn't it? Yeah. That's more sort of prominent than just being in Doctor Who, so... Maybe, maybe in something. Uh, because I have listened to a lot of the big finish thing, as you said, maybe they've used it in that, and it's just something I haven't really picked up on, because I haven't seen all of the classic episodes yet. I say yet. <laughs> Neither have I, because a lot are missing. Still, ninety-seven are missing. You must have seen quite a few of them, though, by now. Pretty much all the ones that aren't missing, I've seen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Although it did take me until a few years ago to get through all the DVDs, so. Uh, one thing I, I will admit, the one Doctor that I'm struggling the most with to watch, and it's not because of the stories, it's not because of the way they're, they're acted, is the Pertwee era. 
And I know there are people listening to this now just screaming, going, no, you're wrong. But because I really love the Navy Larks, I can't hear John Pertwee doing anything other than Chief Pertwee on the Navy Lark. Yeah, Ooh. bad guys. We've got a few... Um, well, we've got Duggan, haven't we? He's very one-dimensional. But at the same time, he's quite likeable. Yeah. I don't think... We're, in a story like this, you can't make every single character have this this wonderful backstory and everything like that. You have to have these very one-dimensional characters. And do you know this? Well, the story of the final scene, like a lot of Doctor Who fans over the years have gone to the top of the Eiffel Tower and shouted bye-bye Duggan. I did not know that. No, there's a good story on uh, one of the forums, I think it was Gallifrey Base, saying somebody had gone on a school trip there in the 90s and they got to the top of the tower being a Doctor Who fan and shouted it out. And the teacher really sort of admonished them in front of everybody and had a go. And uh, as they were leaving the um, leaving to go back down in the lift on the Eiffel Tower, just a random other British person shouted it as well. So the teacher ended up apologising to the kid, thinking it was some sort of uh, ritual that had been going on for centuries. That's incredible. <laughs> that is brilliant. I mean, we we both live in Swansea, which you know a lot of Doctor Who has been filmed here. So there is a lot of times when you walk past something, and you just think, "Yep, that was in Doctor Who." Every time I walk past the no sign bar down the alleyway, I always think think of the first season of, well, of Christopher Eccleston's first season. And the Queen's Hotel and the docks, um, I always end up sort of quoting him uh, <laughs> in my head and sometimes saying it out loud when I walk past her. This isn't Naples, Rose, it's Cardiff. Yeah. <laughs> or going, like every time I've stepped inside Morgan's Hotel, thinking about Voyage, Voyage of the, the Damned. Yeah. Yes. An episode that... I still, even now to this day, don't enjoy that much. It's my probably one of my favourite Christmas specials. Really? As, as a as a guilty pleasure, yeah. I just I just think it all sits together really well. Still, the Runaway Bride. Out of all of the Christmas episodes, the Runaway Bride is still my favourite. Yeah, although I think Catherine takes slightly annoying in that one, and she got a bit better as a character. Yeah. I think that's why I liked her because she was so irritating. But then, you know, when she became the regular assistant. They give her much more depth. And even though she was still irritating quite a bit, you still kind of liked her. Yeah. She wasn't Martha where you just like, you cannot act. Yeah, so characters-wise, mate, back on City of Death, um, I want to talk about Kerensky. Um, In the TV version, did he really just think Manuel from Faulty Towers? Because that's that's what I did. Was he supposed to be sort of Russian-Polish with a name like that? And obviously Manuel's Spanish. With that, especially, you say... Is it Polish? Is it Russian? Possibly French? Possibly. Yeah, Possibly exactly. Romanian. It, it, it was so nondescript, really, wasn't yeah. it? The other main character, of course, is the Baroness, the lovely Catherine Schell. It's either that or the real Emmanuel. I don't think she was yeah. in that one, but I think she's in... Because she's in one of the Pink Panther films as well. The Return Clu- of Clu- Pink Panther? Yeah, Cluzo's obviously got a bit of a crush on her, hasn't he? So. Yeah. Only because I've recently started watching the Carry On films again and I eventually get to Carry On Emmanuel and go, oh yeah, she was in this. <laughs> and have you noticed it? As he gets older, Daniel Craig is starting to resemble Sid James more and more. <laughs> that wouldn't have just be brilliant casting though. Daniel Craig as Sid James. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Blofeld, you're stacking the bloody cars. <laughs> <laughs> is he actually doing another Bond? 
Well, they keep delaying it, don't they? They were supposed to... April, well, apparently Danny Boyle wanted a regeneration and that's why they sacked him. Well, no, I'd say regeneration, but they wanted he wanted to actually kill off this Daniel Craig Bond. And they're not they're not up for that, the uh, Broccoli's, for whatever reason. I kind of like to see that, but... I would have always liked the idea of, you know, the whole regeneration thing. Obviously, they couldn't do that because when... One for copyright reasons, but I have always considered the James Bond character to almost have like the James Bond name is a name that they use. Yes. So the reason why there's been all these different James Bonds over the years is because that's just the name they're assigned. So yeah, I would have loved to have seen Danny Boyle do that and kill off Bond. But I like the whole reboot idea that Tarantino had between Brosnan finishing and Craig starting, where he wanted to film. He wanted to film Casino Royale, but he wanted to set it at the time of the book and film it in black and white. I think I would have, I would have preferred that. But he also wanted, still wanted Brosnan, so he'd be quite old then, because Bond is quite, is he sort of fifties in the books? Yeah, he's he's no youngster. Yeah, because Brosnan's I mean, fit would have been fifties then. And isn't it right? Ian Fleming based some of James Bond on John Pertwee because they both worked. MI6 at the time. Yeah, it was it MI5 back then, wasn't it? But or whatever they were called. Yeah, in the war. yeah. Um, they both worked for the same thing, and it was he did base part of it on, especially the style of Bond. Not so much maybe John Pertwee was like that as a spy, because Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee were both on frigates that were blown up. Really, in the Second World War apparently. Yeah, and both escaped. So uh, I did not. How things could have been different then? Yeah, so I mean, we could have Sid James as, as the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth Williams. Oh. <laughs> Brian Blessed. Was Brian Blessed supposed to be the sixth doctor? Or it was possibly room, fifth yeah, or the it was sixth. rumoured, yeah. In his he's in he's in Ventures on Virus, of course. He's yeah. up with Perry. Because he talks about that in his or when I've seen him live, he's talked about possibly wanting to be the doctor. Yes. It would be a very different doctor. Now it would be very much loud, and you'd have to have your TV yes <laughs> set quite low, uh, or just sit in another room. With the covers, mate. Have yes, you had a chance to look at. I've looked at. You've got the Target novelisation, haven't you? The actual abridged version. Between the abridged, the Target abridged version, and the full length version, I have to say I prefer. I like the way the Target novels look. Yes. I, even the classic ones, I know they've started redoing them again with Rose and The Day of the Doctor. There's just something very nice, something very simplistic about their covers. Yeah, Anthony Dry um, does the City of Death one. He did the new Target releases last year. and The abridged one was one of that range. Um, seemed to be a bit of a mix and match for me, a bit of uh, photorealism. Bit of pencil drawing and a bit of sort of comic book background for the the stars in the sky. The audiobook cover is that one, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the same one as the unabridged version of the book. Is it? No, because the one I found on if you go to Tardis Wikia, which is the page. There we go. There's the cover of the that one. It's almost identical. Yeah. I know you've got There's a paperback there's a paperback one as well though, sorry, there's a paperback target released. And it's like a cream background and it's actually got a target symbol on it. Yeah, that's the one that I bought. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that I bought. That's Anthony Dry and that's a pretty good sort of, would you call it a collage effect? Yeah, I would. Um, To a certain extent, it reminds me of a mixture of the art style of, with the sort of very comic, as you said, very comic book background. 
of a sort of Jack Kirby mixed with Jim Steranko, which are, which are two classic comic book artists. That style of Tom's face and Lala's face, is that pencil drawn or is that seen as photorealistic or a combination I of the both? Or? It's very difficult to tell because it looks so photorealistic, but then it also looks very pencil drawn. You know, sometimes where you see... Yeah, is there a sort of specific name for... There's a mixture of those yeah. two? Yeah, or... there probably is. I just can't think of it right at this moment. Should you talk about ending of the audiobook? Do you think it ended in the right way? Sort of... Uh, it ended? The, yeah. The, yeah, it, it came to an end. After six weeks. <laughs> the audiobook was nine, nine and a half hours long. Mm. It says a lot where I could probably have read it quicker than that. It felt like it was nine and a half weeks long. Yeah. I was glad when this... I really enjoyed the TV show. I was glad when this book was over. It, for the first... I struggled through the first three hours of this book. I spent a lot of time pressing pause. I really was struggling to get through this book. It was Douglas Adams. I love Douglas Adams. The audio adaption. It took me three hours. By the time I got to the fourth hour, I was kind of getting into it. And but but by the time the entire thing had finished, I was grateful that it was over. Would I recommend the audiobook? No. You have to really be a diehard Doctor Who fan and a diehard Romana fan to listen to this. I felt it sort of improved as it went on for me because I got more familiar with the TV story, you know, with all the background we had to start yes. with. When you moved on from that, and I kind of got used to Lana's style... But as you said, it's she's not very comfortable as a reader compared to other people. No. So you know, I'm thinking, are we going to do scores now on this new version of the show? Or um, we we can do. Are uh, we, as, are we... as you said, unless you were like die hard, I think I'd skip the audiobook unless you really had like nine hours you really needed to kill. You know, across however many days or I weeks w- as it did with us. With with this, I think I would rather just or even reach the unabridged version of the book which would probably take the same amount of time to listen to, where you can hear Tom's voice in your head. You can hear Julian Glover's voice in your head. But with this, you're just listening to Lala Ward. That's all you're listening to is her, and there's... It's so difficult to get through. Story-wise, I'd give this a 9 out of 10 for the story itself. For the reading, I'd give it a 2, maybe a... Maybe a three, but no more than that. No, as you said, it's a nine or a ten for me for the TV version. Probably going to be a little bit more generous and say five or six for the audiobook, you know, but maybe five, maybe four or five for Lala's performance. Not one I'd rush out, recommend you rush out and buy, but, you know, obviously quite a few have bought bought it because we've recently had the Tom Baker versus Scratch Man, the movie script him and Anthony Ainley, who used to play the master, worked on in the 80s. They've recently developed that as an audio book. I listened to that fairly recently, and basically because it's Tom, it's quite a long one as well. It's another eight hours. Yeah. But because it's Tom, you just engage throughout, and the story and isn't half as good as City of Death. City of yeah. Death, to be honest. But as we said, it's got to be in the performance as well. Exactly. I mean, and let's be honest, you could have Tom Baker read you the phone book, yeah. and it would still be entertaining. It would still be engaging. Tom Baker. Could read me anything and I would happily sit there and listen so in in other news so what have you been up to this Mike have you seen anything about Doctor Who perhaps there's not been a lot of news recently um 
I happen to be around the Guildhall in Swansea. I work for the local authority myself on Tuesday. I got a heads up there might have been a little TV show being filmed there. Somebody said there was a blue box in the building. And Ooh, I ended nice. up hanging around there from about 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Sorry, I went there Monday night first. And I saw a lot of setup really, so I didn't stay too long. I uh, found out the crew was still there on Tuesday. So I went back about 2 in the afternoon. Not a lot happened. And one of the luckiest moments I've had in a long time, folks. Walked to St. Helens Road, which is literally about a two-minute walk from where my car was parked, to get some lunch because I hadn't eaten. Came back and there was a, a bit of a crowd of sort of uh, older people. And there was a crowd of a good few people of all ages waiting there. And all of a sudden I put the key in my car. I couldn't quite see everything that was going on at the door. And somebody was shouting, oh, thank you so much. And then some Yorkshire accent I recognised said, oh, that's a pleasure, my dear. I thought, oh my goodness. So I ran over. And yes, folks, I did meet Jodie Whittaker. And you can see the picture, what a lovely lady, on our Twitter feed, at DW Target Files. We will be having a new Facebook page as well soon. We will be having a new um, Facebook page that we both will be in charge of. And it will have new graphics, pictures, and everything like that as soon as I get back from holidays. No, but um, yeah, thrilled to meet Jodie. Um, what can I say? Really strikingly beautiful woman in real life. I honestly don't think the screen does her enough justice, but she was lovely. There was a group of 15 people there, a few people with disabilities, a few uh, school children there, and she just took her time out to get pictures with everybody. Now, I did make a major mistake because I got home and realised that poor Mandip Gill was in the pictures behind me, and uh, I got so excited with getting a picture with Jodie that I ran to my car to upload it. I don't don't know why I didn't think I'd have a better signal yeah. where I was stood, but Mandip was all obviously very quiet, and you'll actually see her behind uh, Jodie's shoulder in my pictures, having pictures with other people. But I think she was uh, in a bit of a rush to get in as well. So, um, But yeah, that's another one off the bucket list. It's only David Tennant and I need a picture with now of the surviving Doctors. Cool, yeah, so um, should I talk about the spoilers I heard about the Guildhall filming? Yes, tell us about that. Yeah, apparently, uh, spoilers folks, uh, Mr Stephen Fry was spotted wearing a tweed suit within a 1940s setting in the building, so uh, something could be going on there. My theory is, what if he's playing Alan Turing, you know? He is 20 years older now than when Alan Turing committed suicide, age 42, but maybe some timey wiminess and maybe someone prevents that happening? Mm, possibly. Do we actually know anything about the new series now, apart from obviously the bits that you... Yeah, well, they filmed for a few weeks in South Africa in January, and this is the, the next block now back in this country. Oh, and... But nothing more is known yet, whether it's going to be 10 episodes again and a New Year's Day special. The rumours are it'll start with a New Year's Day special, and then probably February, March, we'll get the 10 episodes. Oh, no, not a New Year's Day special. It has to go back to the Christmas so all the fans can go, yes, we've got a Christmas episode. <laughs> because one one week makes a lot of difference. Yes, uh, people found a way to twist that in, and probably Resolution was one of the best Jodie episodes, I thought. What's your opinion of Jodie as, as a doctor? Sold to a certain extent on her performance. Um, she just needs to develop it. I mean, I had quite high expectations of her, as I did with Capaldi, and I didn't think they wrote Capaldi properly until his final season. Similar with her, I'm expecting improvement again next year. Um, I think the TARDIS is possibly a bit crowded. They need to get down to possibly just her and one companion again, or maybe maximum two, but I think Bradley Walsh will take a bit of a backseat in this next series as he's uh, committed to filming The Chase as well. 
I actually like that there's more than just the one. It harkens back to the Hartnell era where there was, you know, there was more than one person in the TARDIS as well. I like Jodie as a, as a Doctor, as you said, maybe not the strongest series to start her off with, but after 50 plus years, you needed something new. You needed that new blood in the in the TARDIS. I see where you're coming from, but back in those days we had cliffhangers. We had a week between stories. I think when you're trying to self-contain it into like 50 minutes, and there's not, I suppose they put sort of cliffhangers halfway through the episode at times nowadays, but I think it loses that momentum if you're just having one-off stories every week rather than do big you, arcs. Do you think because of the very, you know, because they're selling it to an American market, they do have that that X-Files, which really started with the X-Files of going, we're having these individual stories that build to an overall arc, which I think the first time you did see that was the X-Files. I think so, yeah, I would agree I with d- that. I don't, I don't remember, even things like you know, Star Trek The Next Generation, it didn't have that, it was just a self-contained episode every time, or maybe a two-parter. I suppose the format, the programme with the format that lent it to that would be Quantum Leap, which we both love. Oh yes. There was uh, obviously a self-contained story every week, even though it was set, had to be set within Sam's lifetime. Yeah. Because like uh, it makes me laugh at Doctor Who conventions because a lot of the actors say Doctor Who is a wonderful format. Um, and what other show in the world can you have where the the guest uh, actors change every week? I just like, Quantum Leap. Yeah. <laughs> or any realistically Quantum Leap. I know it had the overall arc of it. We followed Sam. We followed Al. Or rather, Al followed Sam. But it was very much a sort of anthology show in the same way of like the Twilight Zone and all of these are going. It's a different story every week, but you still have the same characters. I know Twilight Zone didn't have that. But it was. It was something different. Yeah, and end of March is the 30th anniversary. So, going to be doing another rewatch, I think. Yes, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be coming up to me rewatching them again. You can't not love Quantum Leap. And the Destination Star Trek. Uh, convention in Birmingham this autumn. They've put all the captains up on the actual poster art, haven't they? But they haven't announced any yet. So uh, yeah, hoping to meet Scott back in the one day. Because Dean Stockwell, I know, has done conventions. Yeah, it's one of him and and uh, and have you ever actually seen the NCIS New Orleans where they bring back? I have, and I've seen the Star Trek Enterprise when they're both in it. Yeah. Um, no, he's. They actually bring him into and say yes, New Orleans. I only know it because I was. I'd called down to see my mum, and she was watching him. Like Dean Stockwell with with Scott Bakula again. Yes, <laughs> brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Media recommendations, buddy. What have you been watching, listening to this week? What have I been watching? I watched on Netflix the wonderful show. Abducted in Plain Sight. Now I've heard a lot about this. Um, are you going to be spoilerific, or uh, um, I'm going? Gonna... I'm going to. I'm going to be tactful. I'm. I'm going to try not to give any spoilers away. The things that little girl through went through were horrific. Yeah, I felt very sorry for her. She was also very recognisable because she was in Iron Man Three, because okay. she was an actually an actress. Right. Because when they, they interview her, it's like, I know that woman from somewhere. So obviously the usual, let's check on IMDB. Mm-hmm. And she's been in quite a lot of things. When did this she abuse w- occur, it, was it? It uh, occurred in the early 70s, 73, up until, I think she was about 16, 17. So she's what, 40s, 50s now? She, yes, she's in, her, she's in her mid-50s. And when people always say things were better in our day, parenting was better in the show. Nope, her parents were idiots. 
and there are certain memes that are going around about her father which if you've seen the memes and then watch the show it's really hard not to laugh and it's not something you want to be laughing at no but you know humor certainly with me and you off podcast is pretty uh the darker the better for us isn't it you know we yeah both, we both worked in an industry and care where you do see a lot of the end of people's lives and deaths and yeah. you know they say people i have a sense of humor dark as an emergency services worker you know i think what those paramedics see in car crashes and stuff you know and they've got to have humor just to deal with it haven't they and and with dark humor you're not laughing at the the person directly because you're, you're just laughing at the situation because it takes some of the power away from it there are horrendous things that happen in this world and if you can laugh at it it makes it slightly easier to deal with. What's that you told me? Um, the comedian when he used to work with learning disabilities in Australia, Jim Jeffries, the story. Oh, the that's s- a good one about when. Uh, oh, but the, they're taking them out for a walk. Yes. And the the two, one in the wheelchair turns to the other one when they see two women walking to them, say, "I don't fancy yours much." <laughs> and that was when he realised he could laugh at everything. Yeah. Something Ricky Gervais or so said when I saw him in the uh, Humanity Tour a few years ago. Ended up watching Teen Wolf again with Michael J. Fox for the first time in years uh, the other night and really, really enjoyed it. It, it held up, did it? Yeah, it does hold up. Um, but I've always just loved the scene when he's having the transformation in the bathroom and he doesn't want his father to come in and his father says, you open the door now yeah. and he comes out and his father's got the big beard. That's still so I, funny. I know they did the TV show Teen Wolf. I never, never watched. wanted to watch it. No. no, for the same reason. I loved the film. I thought the film is a part of my childhood. It's something I watched quite a lot. It always makes me sad when I see Michael J. Fox. Of no, some, but he, yeah. he still can do so much. Though. That's the thing. He, I saw him speak yeah. in London a few years ago. He still had the wit. You know, he, he managed to speak pretty coherently for nearly half an hour. But with that, it was such a shame that you know he was he should have had a much bigger career than he did. He was he was very much on the rise after Teen Wolf, after the Back to Future trilogy. He should have been a bigger star, and to have to end up with Parkinson's, tended to cut his career short. Although, as you said, he continued to work. And I, yeah, he didn't let anybody know for seven years. You know, till he was doing I think Spin City. It was called, wasn't it? It was. I completely forgot about that TV show. And Christopher Lloyd is in a, a scene in that. And they catch up with each, each other and he says, I'll see you again in the future. Ah. And there's a bit of a cheer from the audience, as, you, as you'd expect. But Michael J. Fox, to me, you got to think about if people have something like Parkinson's in their genes, what triggers it? And looking at his career, the sort of documentaries behind the scenes, when he filmed Back to the Future, he was doing um, Family Ties in the Day getting no sleep yeah. they're going to do Back to the Future at night and then by the time you got to the third Back to the Future film that had all been settled because the TV show had finished yes but um, he actually did end up losing a lot of breath didn't he in the hanging scene yeah yeah so and that apparently you can see in the film he turns sort of quite purple and I think that probably had an effect in triggering it as well and uh, he told us that he just noticed his pinky finger one of his pinky fingers shaking uncontrollably around about 1990 and that was the start of it so mm. Was it around about the time of Doc Hollywood? Yes. Because Michael J. Fox has had a career where there's not many blips on it with where it's like, oh, this was awful. I loved him as Alex P. Keaton in Family Ties, yeah. obviously as Marty McFly in Teen Wolf, Doc Hollywood, The Secret of My Success. He's incredibly funny in the hard way. 
one I'd totally forgotten about, but it's I think it's turned up on Netflix recently, is Casualties of War with Sean Penn. One of, one of my the Brian De Palma f- yeah. film. One of my favourite films. Not seen war it for films. so long. Oh, go back and watch it. And that's you, thirty years old this year, now eighty nine. Yeah, now I feel really old. Yeah, well, it's coming up to that big summer when I would have been twelve, you would have been fourteen. Yes. The first sort of blockbuster summer of sequels, wasn't it? Well, we had Batman was an original. Yeah. Was it Lethal Weapon 2, License to Kill Bond, Ghostbusters 2, Star Trek 5, or was that later in the year? Because I know Back to the Future 2 was November that year. Yes, Back to the Future 2 was November. Because I still remember buying the poster book on my way home from school, and I was so chuffed to have this giant poster of Back to the Future. I read the novelizations of Part 2 and 3 before it came out in the cinema. Those were the days that... That actually was a time when, to to find out anything about the film, you had to read those books. It wasn't, let's just go on the internet and read. Or do you remember, right about Friday nights, Saturday mornings, I used to have a portable tally downstairs. Uh, they used to do the top ten films in the US. Cin- With Casey Kasem and Cinema yeah. Traction. I yeah. do. I still remember staying up until something, because they changed Showing time. in the UK regions over here. Yeah. Um, about two o'clock in the morning, just to see the Terminator trailer, Terminator yeah. 2. I saw that. That was when I first saw any footage of Back to the Future 2 and you wouldn't believe how excited I was. Funny enough, I hadn't seen... I actually saw Back to the Future 2 before I saw Back to the Future 1. Because I knew what happened in the Back to the Future, the first film, because I had the sticker book. And I had a complete Back to the Future sticker book. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to watch the second film now. And then I watched it and then rented out Back to the Future 1. But it sort of taught me about films that not a lot of people would have known about from the hype because something else that was 30 years old last weekend I watched again was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Cinema Attractions was the first time we used to have a bit of a gap then, didn't we? Maybe yeah. a few months between films being released. I first saw the trailer for that and thought, this looks really good. And then I ended up watching it as soon as it came out in the cinema over here. I know I saw Bogus Journey in the cinema. Yeah. I can remember going to see that. I can't remember whether I saw Excellent Adventure. I think I did. I think it was one of my Saturday afternoons spent the entire the entire Saturday in the cinema. And that was one of the films. And we still only pay five pounds to watch a film in Swansea now, but it was probably about two fifty then. Speak for yourself. I, I pay seventeen ninety nine a month. <laughs> Oh, the cinemas are available. Yes, of course. Not for me, though. I only go to Odeon. <laughs> um, another film that came out was Last Crusade. Yeah, that was a big sequel. That was probably the best of the bunch that year. And that is still my favourite Indiana Jones film. I know everyone just says, no, it has to be Raiders or maybe Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, I just still don't like that much. Another fine uh, turn by Julian Glover as the bad guy. Spoiler. Yes. <laughs> you haven't seen it well, 30 years later. I, I think we can avoid the spoilers. Germany has declared war on the Jones boys. Yeah. I can still quote that trailer because I probably saw that on Cinema Attractions as well. Cinema Attractions was one of those things that you just stayed up to watch. Awesome. And because, they always used to play a really crap song from a film on the end credits though. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I always used to record them. Just so I could watch the trailers over and over and over again. I've still got some recorded upstairs, which I converted all VHS to hard drive last year. <laughs> That's one thing I will say. I do miss the way they used to make trailers. Yeah. You had the same guy doing the same vo- narrative, but it just made you want no to see this. Yeah, <laughs> that's the guy. Yeah, he only died about 10 years ago, didn't he? Yeah. Another film that came out in 89 was Karate Kid 3. 
Yes. Hmm. <laughs> I enjoyed that at the time. I must admit it was a guilty pleasure. I'd come back off holiday. I hadn't seen Batman. I hadn't seen Karate Kid 3. And that was the first time I went to our local cinema, our 10-screen cinema. Just I opened went, then, hadn't it? It had. I came back on the Thursday, it opened on the Friday, and I went on the Saturday. Still there now, changed from UCI to Odeon. actually found out recently that somebody I know I work with, whose uh, wife worked there at the time, said there was a big uh, opening with Leslie Nielsen and Kevin Bacon, which I really don't remember happening. I would have been all o- over it like a rash if I'd known about that. I think I would have been there as well. I would have gone down. But no, I don't remember that at all. Because there's no like archive pictures or anything of it. So no. did it happen or was it just a rumour? I'm going to go with rumour. Because the, the, so, Swansea, Swansea at the time never got anything. Catherine Zeta Jones hadn't even left here yet. Yeah. Um, so that would have been a big thing in Swansea. Yeah. So uh, Lee gonna probably aim to have about one episode out a month or two. But um, yes, we're talking about doing another podcast. Do you want to tease the listeners? We haven't thought of a title yet, but uh, sort of tease the listeners and tell them what yes what we're going to be discussing. We're going to be discussing the rather marvelous anthology series the twilight zone along with one step beyond an anthology show that was around about the same time as the twilight zone but wasn't as popular and only ran for three years because i have to admit i've never seen all the black and white original twilight zones um i love the movie on the kid because it was recorded on vhs and there's that wonderful sort of bookend scene with dan Aykroyd as the uh, taxi driver yes but um, talking about the late 80s shows like Cinema Attractions, we had the um, the 80s version of The Twilight Zone on in that slot of times, didn't we? And I've got the box set upstairs. I've always loved it. Some fabulous actors like Bruce Willis, Helen Mirren appear in it. And funnily enough, I have seen more of the black and white episodes. I haven't seen many of the coloured ones. So, no, I, have, I haven't seen many of those. Although recently I did watch the Rod Sterling Lost Twilight Zone episodes, which I told you about, and then you watched them. On Amazon Prime, and I watched them last night, presented by James Earl Jones, and you get the impression he should probably present everything. Yes, although there is someone, uh, there is a guy on YouTube, which I know that Jordan Peele is bringing back the Twilight Zone, Rob Dyke, if you don't know him, check out his channel, if anyone should present, narrate the Twilight Zone, it should be him, he has a great voice. Because I recall them, didn't they? Try and do it in the early ninety, uh, early noughties, and wasn't it Forrest Whitaker was presenting them? That rings a bell for some reason. It may do. I'd it may have, have only been a up. pilot or a few episodes. I think the Twilight Zone is one of one of those shows that, if done well, could take off again. But unfortunately, we now have Black Mirror, and with a lot of generation that just know Black Mirror, they're going to see the Twilight Zone as a pale comparison of that. And there were reports of tales of the unexpected coming back a few months ago. So, would we still we have the see? would we still have the dancing girls in black and white? But that theme tune to me always brings up Sunday nights. I got to be in bed now for school. Yeah, I for some reason was allowed to stay up and watch them. I think my my mum, my stepdad didn't give a shit about my education. So, yeah, yeah it's I, like, nah, he's not getting anywhere in life. <laughs> no. <Nice. Yeah. laughs> Just let him watch anything. I think the one that sticks out of those is the Royal Jelly, isn't it? Is that the beekeeping one? No, for me, the one that sticks out the most is the Brian Blessed. Shoulder of Lamb. The Shoulder of Lamb. I've gone back and watched a lot of Tales of the Unexpected, and when you go back, 
just saying, I have never seen this. Yeah. And then about halfway through, you're like, oh, yes, I have. No, I watched them all a few years ago. They were, I think, Sky Arts were showing them. Or they used to show them on a loop, more or less. I saw, I saw some of them on YouTube. Yeah. I'm hoping they're still up there because I might go back and watch them. <laughs> no, I've like two months without smoking now, so I'm going to be starting building my life-size Dalek. Hey, brilliant. So any tips on that? Contact us, folks, at DW Target Files, and we'll let you know the new Facebook page as soon as it's up and running, and the Instagram. Yes, as soon as we can come up with a title. Prob- we'll probably just add the word there in it somewhere. What book are we going to do next time? Any, any doctor you'd like to pick to... Focus on an audiobook, target novel next time. Ooh, that, that's 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 a good point. Why don't we go for Hartnell then? I've yeah. got a lot of Hartnell target novels anyway. Cool. Um, there's stuff like the Crusades. I've got the Aztecs, the historical I've ones. Got, I've got the Aztecs, the book of the Aztecs, so we can go with that. We shall go with that next time. Thanks for listening, faithful listeners. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> Adios. You can contact Doctor Who The Target Files on Twitter at DW Target Files handle. Search Facebook for our new page, Doctor Who The Target Files. Please do rate and review us on iTunes. The 13th Doctor theme cover was created by Borna Matosic. Please do check out his YouTube channel, B-O-R-N-A-M-A-T-O-S-I-C. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>